0: This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous discussion of difficult subjects. Tonight is the first in a series about being transgender, and my guest is Lisa Bunker. Lisa is the program director here at WMPG. She's also the author of the blog, Gender Bendy, about her experiences with gender transition. And I want to just say before welcoming you officially that Lisa is also uh, my primary teacher in radio and the person who first introduced me to this work. Thank you and welcome.
1: My pleasure. Very much so.
0: I'd like to start by asking you to tell me a little bit about when you first became aware of your sense of self as female and kind of the evolution of that awareness, where it took you from there.
1: Okay. Um, my story of that, I mean, every transgender person has a version of this story. Mine's a little unusual, not, not unique, but a little unusual in that I was completely unself-aware as transgendered for the first 46 years of my life. Um, in late 2000, I was living as an ordinary heterosexual man in the world. Um, in late 2008, a couple of things happened. Um, one was I passed the age my father was when he died. And the other was that um, I was nearly in a very bad accident on the highway. I had a near miss. Um, And for a couple seconds there, I really thought this was it. I was done. But I managed to bail to the median and not get hit. And um, it really shook me up. And it was just a few weeks after that that um, I was writing in my journal. And um, I was listing the ways I felt I had failed as a man. As a husband, um, as a writer, which I kind of saw at that time as a masculine undertaking, as a boyfriend, because I had a series of disastrous dating experiences after a divorce. Um, And I wrote completely to my own surprise, I just want to be a girl. Um, And, you know, it's like there was a part of me that finally just said, time for me to talk now after being silent my whole life. And um, I was stunned by this, but I felt immediately the force of the truth of it. And then... um, there followed a period of intense exploration and and um, experimentation with women's clothing, with makeup, all completely in secret at first. I was I was confused. I didn't know what was going on. I was scared. Um, I was tremendously excited, um, and uh, I I self identified as a cross dresser for a while. But then I began to learn more and more. Goodness, for the internet, you know, I was able to learn an enormous amount in a very short period of time, and it must this would have been a very different story 20, 30 years ago. And um I started to learn that there, you know, a lot of people who identify as transgender, some stay living as the gender they were born in, but make excursions of one kind or another into the other. And then there's people who just switch. They say, "You know what? This is not right. I'm going to I'm going to change." And it took me a while, some counseling, some writing, some agonizing, but I decided I'm really supposed to be a woman. I am a woman. And this living as a man thing, is was. it worked for a long time, kind of, sort of, in some ways. And there were good reasons for doing it at the time. But no, done, done. Now I want to be who I am. And so now I am um, two and a half years after that initial revelation. I am living full time as a woman. I have legally changed my name from David to Elizabeth. I go by Lisa, by you know, just for around the station name. Um, and I'm on hormones, I'm getting my beard removed by electrolysis, I completely dress and, you know, dress female all the time, because I love it, um, and I'm working on my voice, so, um, uh, that's kind of where it is, very much still mid-transition, you know, changing my name and, you know, sort of announcing to the world, okay, I'm a woman now, felt like an end at the time, it wasn't, it was just another step, and I'm still learning to be who I am, and learning how to be in the world, and helping my children. I have two teenagers continue to get used to this whole idea, Um, and I have some big decisions yet to make about the possibilities of a couple different kinds of surgery. So, yeah, still very much in the process.
0: I find your story very moving to hear, and um, I'm struck that you started with the death of your father and sort of your almost death, and I'm curious... Did it feel like his death sort of freed you to be who you really are? Or was it more like, wow, I really am mortal. If I want to be who I am, I better go for it.
1: To, to be clear, it wasn't his death. He didn't die in November of 2008. In November, he died in 1977. But... He, he, I knew, being having the kind of math brain that does this kind of thing, I yes. knew how old he was to the day when he died, and I had passed that age. And it was kind of like an internal deadline. It was as though at the age of five or six, I thought, you know, the world seems to need me to be male. And I was, I think, uh, I mean, okay, this was, let me be clear, all right? First of all, this was not, you know, beautifully reasoned, logical, rational thinking. I was a very confused and suppressed sort of five-year-old and also a very dutiful child, really wanting to please and uh, an overachiever, I think, and and shy. And so there was a lot of different sort of elements of my character and my situation at the time growing up in a kind of conventional family in the 1960s where my nascent femininity just had no outlet and I couldn't even express it to myself. Um, and then it was clearly expected to me of me to be a boy who would grow up into a man someday, and my parents got divorced when I was eight, and you know there was a further reason and sort of um, um impetus there to be the man in my father's in my mother's life, I suppose. And so you know i I, I constructed this project for myself, this ultimately doomed project of being a man in the world, and you know, tried as hard as I could. I was gonna be the best possible man I could be. Um, but reaching my father's age of death was, I guess, kind of like my deadline. And it was like, okay, well, I've tried as long as he did it and it's not working out. And there's this other need that has never been expressed. And so I think that's kind of how that came, came to fruition.
0: Mm. I, I think about your, you know, your brave words about failure, the feeling of how ways you had failed as a man it reminds me of a jk rowling speech where she talked about having utterly failed before she wrote the harry potter series and she gave a speech about the gifts of failure what it opened up for her what it allowed and it does sound like that for you that in some way recognizing what you hadn't felt able to do freed you is that is that right
1: um i think in part it was it was part of the total burden of the wrongness of what i was trying to do that finally enabled me to break through um I really perceive internally um what I am doing as a releasing of control of a control that I that I sort of took I, I, like a hand that I clenched very early in my life and I kept it clenched all through my young adulthood and marriage and fatherhood and then finally when I came to this place where it was just you know the burden of evidence was had had built to a point where I just said I'm not working out as a male person and I, I let go. I uncurled the hand. It's a magical moment, but it's a relinquishing of control. It's not like, okay, I, you know, I, I'm going to be all purposeful and constructive about this. No, it's been a roller coaster ride, you know, or a free fall, um, with you know, but a free fall that's more like flying. And and uh, but I'm not in control. This is a. It's a thing I have said. All right, I'm going to let this happen to me, and it's happening to me. It's not a thing that I'm doing. So um, not really in a response to anything once it started, except, okay, this process has begun. There's no stopping it. It's right for me. It's scary as hell sometimes and exhilarating other times and and puzzling and confusing. And but, you know, it's amazing.
0: So so um, when you did, you know, it sounds like in the beginning you were confused. you were trying to figure it out. You're making excursions. Initially, it was all in secret. And then who was the first person that you told and how was that for you?
1: Um, the first friend I talked to about my exciting new news was um, an old friend of mine that I've met through radio work who's a radical lesbian comic in San Francisco. And she's a remarkable woman. She's in her 50s. Um, and we, f- just sort of working on projects together, we somehow formed a bond. And I was very pleased back when I was, you know, a sort of plain vanilla man to have this really exotic friend <laughs> and to sort of, you know, won her respect somehow. You
0: never struck me as that vanilla, but anyway. <laughs> but, but still,
1: you know, I mean, she's, she's, she's like from, the, you know, she's from the radical queer culture of San Francisco. And I was I was an upper right. middle class heterosexual white man. Um, but still, we had this bond. And then she had a terrible, terrible thing happen in her life, which, you know, I, I was I was able to support her a little bit. So we have a really close thing. And so she was the first person, long distance, you know, 3,000 miles away. I sent her this email saying, oh, my God, this thing is happening to me. What's going on? And I wasn't, I wasn't at that point ready to say, you know, I'm female. I was ready. I was saying, you know, I've discovered this fascination with women's clothing, and I think I'm a cross-dresser. And I was still, you know, learning and figuring things out. But, yeah, she was very supportive. You know what she and her girlfriend did? They sent me a care package. It had a complete makeup kit in it, oh. many parts of which I still use. And they sent me a cheap digital camera. They had it exactly right because my first thing was, you know, I wanted to look like a woman. And, you know, I was, you know, experimenting with the makeup and buying clothes. And it was, oh, it was so terrifying the first time I went shopping for panties and stuff. You know, just things that I do totally without thinking about it anymore. I need new underwear. I go buy new underwear. But... Um, at the time, it was it, every step was, was earth shaking, and they sent me just what I needed to start, you know, to dress up and take a picture and look at it and, and realize, oh my God, I have man eyebrows. I have to change this, and you know, it just sort of, you know, they, so they helped me through the process that I'm still going through, of releasing into my natural femininity.
0: And who um, who was the person you were most worried about telling? And have you told that person?
1: Without a doubt, my children. I agonized about that. I have told them, um, but it took me months to build up to it. And, um, you know, I'm a single part-time parent, um, you know, my former spouse and I trade off weeks. Um, Um, so, and they're teenagers. I have an 18, at the time, a 17 year old girl and a 13 year old boy, um, and I was worried, you know. I'm, I'm, here I am trying to be this father figure for these, for these young, growing people. And how is this going to affect them? And are they going to be worried that it might happen to them too? And, you know, And I, I did research. I mean, my usual approach to a problem like this is to exhaustively learn everything and agonize for months. And so I did that. Um, and, uh, but eventually I, I talked to them, and it went surprisingly well. Um, everybody without exception, and I'm out to everybody I'm out. there's nobody that I'm not out to. Um, everybody has been supportive, welcoming, accepting, um, gracious. So it's been wonderful.
0: Isn't that wonderful? I can, I can, you know, not having been in your position, I wouldn't have imagined that necessarily everybody would, would be that way. So it sounds like that's really been your consistent experience.
1: And, I, you know, I want to take a little credit for that, for, for just sort of how I've handled it. It's not like I have drastic news, but and I've gotten more and more easy But I mean, it's like now I meet somebody that I haven't seen in a while, and they say, oh, hi, Dave, looking at my outfit. And I say, oh, it's Le- it's Lisa now. I changed my name and gender. So it's just, you know, psst, I'm out to you now. <laughs> <laughs> right. but, um, but the point I want to make is, in a way, I'm incredibly lucky um, in my family, my upbringing, uh, my upbringing. Um, The place where I work, my circle of friends, I was, you know, I'm in a place where it was likely to go well. But other people telling the same story have much, much harder stories to tell about the ends of marriages, about loss of, you know, children who won't speak to them, siblings who won't speak to them, parents who disown them, losses of jobs. Many, many people have lost their jobs for saying, excuse me, I'm going to be living as a woman now or living as a man now. Um,
0: Because there's no law that protects that from um, that discrimination?
1: There's a patchwork of different laws in different places. Um, I understand you're going to interview Alex um, from Maine Transnet. You should ask him that question because he's really up on on protections and so on. There's a mishmash, just like there's a mishmash of of definitions of what male and female actually are for the purposes of marriage. So, for example... um, when I'm fully transitioned, say I get the genital surgery, which is the test for some states, I could get myself legally classified, get my my birth certificate changed to an F, and I could get legally married as a woman in some states, but not in others. You know, I mean, there's this there's this horrible tangle um, around gender, which just makes the whole marriage debate to me seem pointless. I mean, you, there's there's no legal definition in the state of Maine of what a man or a woman is. I went looking for it. I couldn't find it. You know, it's, it's sort of assumed. But, okay, I'm a very much in-between person, and I know a lot of other in-between people right now. Am I a man or a woman for legal purposes? You know, I still have most of my original body, but I have, I have an F on my driver's license. I have a female name. I present as a woman. Um very much in between. So should I be allowed to marry a man? Should I be allowed to marry a woman? How about both? How about we, we drop the question of, of what gender, because it's very hard to define. And we've kind of gotten off on politics, but anyway.
0: <laughs> this is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space, and I'm talking to Lisa Bunker about her experiences of transition from male to female. So, um I'm struck, you know, you you write this really inspiring, very personal blog called Gender Bendy, which is Funny I've, too. Funny, funny, <laughs> well written, articulate, yes. Shameless and, plug, uh, shameless yes. plug. Yes. And uh, you know, I've been following it for some time now with great pleasure. And you had this really funny one recently about going to get your tires, getting new tires and your expectation of oh, encountering um, possibly some prejudice. Yes. And and you were pleasantly surprised I was.
1: um yeah you know. so i'm
0: struck that here again in in you your experiences have been positive and positive even in sort of these bastions of we imagine stereotypically these right, bastions right. of kind of macho-ness
1: i have to go and get my inspection done next week um at a place in town and it's, it's going to be the same for a while that trepidation is like are they going to give me are they going to you know give me a hard time or something. I don't know. I'm not even sure what I'm afraid of. Um, the worst thing, aside from a few people shouting slurs at me, which is the, you know when I was walking around cross-dressed for a while, um, that's the only really negative experience I've had. Somebody shouted faggot at me um, when I was driving by them in a parking lot in a car once. Um, somebody else gave me the finger. That's really about it. But the other thing I run into and I've just sort of gotten used to is what I call the look. And I think I want to blog about the look um, because it's a very clear specific sort of double take. And I'm, 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 I'm thinking mostly of older men now, but not, not exclusively. But I'm, sh- I'm shopping at Hannaford, and there's a guy that works there who, when he sees me, there's that look of recognition, and then there's a kind of a move away of the eyes, and he comes back, and his face has gone stony hard and kind of hooded, and he won't meet my eyes. And I've learned to recognize that as the look, I assume, of the suppression of prejudice, You know, people are mostly polite, mostly courteous, but it's like, it seems very clear to me that when I see that in somebody else, they have computed me as gender ambiguous because I don't pass extremely well. I'm six feet tall and I have a rather masculine face. So even though I'm dressing, you know, feminine and so on and have long hair, et cetera, and female mannerisms, my voice is still quite male. Other parts of me are still quite male. So I, I present as gender ambiguous. I don't pass very much. So, when people get that recognition and I see that look, I think, okay, you know, they're saying some hard word silently inside themselves. And for a little while, it upset me. And then I grew a skin and I just said, okay, whatever, keep it to yourself. Thank you. Thank you for not voicing that, whatever it is you're thinking. But then, you know, it, it is kind of yucky to be sort of so summarily dismissed by somebody. It's like, okay, you've judged me. You've already decided that you know everything you need to know about me, and it's not kind. And you haven't even talked to me. You don't know who I am. And trans does not define me. Trans is one tiny element of who I am, um, not even the most important one. You know, I'm a parent. I'm a radio person. I'm a writer. I'm a musician. Um, I make cross puzzles. I mean, you know, I have a family, brothers here, sisters there, whatever. You know, those are really what's most important about me. Trans is just another facet.
0: You know, when you were talking about the look, I was actually imagining you were talking about a different look. So I was imagining look B.
1: (laughs) What's look B? Which is a
0: look that I think I've given gender ambiguous people, which is not the hooded look of stone face. It's the look of like, oh, wait a second. Oh, oh, who are you? Like a a double take look.
1: Right.
0: Uh, A receptive look, but nonetheless a kind of, oh, wait a minute. And because what I've been struck by is how primary our, our categorization of people is around gender, like a newborn baby. Always the first question is boy or girl. Boy or girl. Always. Right, right. It's almost as if we don't know how to relate to a person until we know what their gender is.
1: That is a very interesting point. Yes. It,
0: it feels like it, it's such a primary, it's almost like our brain can't go further past any, you know, the algorithm has to be male or female and then I'll figure out everything else. And so I have, I can see that in myself, this sort of needing to get clear before anything else happens and um do you notice that do you get that double take look also
1: well there's there is a, a another version of what i just described where there's the first look of figuring out and recognition and then it comes back with a big smile and warmth and it's like and it, which is lovely you know so, it's okay so you figured out i'm a transgender or i'm a man trying to pass as a woman or i'm you know i'm being flamboyant or something i you know you may not be assuming the right thing first of all um and I like that, obviously, much better than, you know, what appears to me to, you know, be to be suppressed epithets or whatever. But at the same time, you still don't understand me. You still don't know me. You've also jumped to a conclusion. Thank you for, the, for having it be a positive conclusion. But, again, you don't know me. Knowing about me that I'm trans is almost knowing nothing about me at all. It doesn't say anything about my character, my intelligence, you know, my heart. Um, it's just one little fact. And you know, it's it's lovely to have people be warm to me just based on that. But it's only a beginning. It's not really that important. Mm.
0: I want to shift now a little bit to ask you about um, your experience of femininity, your relationship to it.
1: Ooh, that's a big question. It is. So I'll make
0: I'll make it more specific because, um, in some of the reading that I've been doing to prepare for this series, a number of of uh, M to F. Uh, women have written about whether did they really want to be a woman or did they really want to be a girl. And that Mm. whole uh, sort of, I didn't get to be a girl before I got to be a woman and sort of missing out on that developmental part. And anyway, there's so much to this. But I was curious, you used the word girl. I want to be a girl. In that
1: first bit of automatic writing or whatever it was. That's right. And I'm curious,
0: does it feel to you, is there a tension for you between being a girl versus being a woman?
1: Hmm. I think of myself now as a woman. I think I have in the past two and a half years gone through a sort of hyper accelerated childhood and adolescence, a sort of second round of that. Um, And I was girlish at first. And I've also been through a kind of period of intense narcissism where I was all wrapped up in myself, you know, kind of like my own teenage children, you know, and uh, and so concerned about what will people think, you know, coming out at work the first time and stuff was full of, oh, my God, I'm going to be judged. And, you know, and now people don't care. But um, that's fascinating. Um, I think when I talk about girl, I mean a certain Set of personal attributes that I would now more or less label as femininity, or, or you know, empowered femininity, or positive ideas of femininity, because that's a, such a loaded comment, a concept. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's a whole history. We could talk for an hour about this, but um, here are things about myself that I think are feminine, okay, and positive. Um, I'm empathetic. Um, I'm collaborative. Um, I'm unaggressive. Um, I'm sexually passive and receptive rather than aggressive. Um, I'm intensely emotional. Um, I am still a little competitive. I play chess on the internet and I care if I win or lose. You know, um, uh, empathy is you know like is like central to my being. You know, I vibrate to the feelings of others, and I think of that as a very feminine trait. And the other one is I care about pretty. You know, I care about how I look. I would like to be pretty. I think I am pretty in a kind of unusual transy way. But you know, I'm I'm carrying something off here, and uh, that matters to me. It makes me happy. Um, but I was raised in a proto-feminist household, and I was taught that caring about pretty was really, really bad. That it was shallow. That it was wrong. That it was backward. And I came up in a family and a and a milieu and a time where girly girls were looked down upon. So that is yet another sort of a factor, I think, of the suppression of this that happened for so long. And my father was contemptuous of women who, you know, wore perfume or wore makeup. He called them chickies. And, you know, it's, I cared about that stuff. But I just, you know, I think I just sort of had to bury it because it was obviously completely unwelcome and unwanted and, and there was no place for that in my life or anybody's.
0: It feels so complicated because I think the relationship to these issues among women uh, trans or of from birth you know is already very complicated you know, yeah. as I hear you list some of those things when you say sexually passive, you identify that as feminine like, part of me it well, takes umbrage okay. wait a minute
1: <laughs> well i'm I'm not okay that that's kind of a it should be a double negative really. I am not sexually aggressive how about that which which I would classify as a typically masculine trait you know um I'm not I'm not a you know I'm not a pursuer and who, who does most of the you know pursuing in the sexual arena I would think in heterosexual relations is mostly you know the men ask the women or whatever it goes both ways um, but uh,
0: it's complex though isn't it because I think even you know for women who are ambitious or competitive how to affirm that as as being feminine quality you know it's just
1: I have no special insight. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't? I'm looking to you,
1: Lisa. <laughs> I've been in both worlds, and it doesn't make any sense to me at all.
0: <laughs> right. So you're trying to inhabit the way that feminine is for you.
1: I'm just trying to be true to myself. I've I, i, I I've been through phases where I thought, you know, I'm going to be a woman, so I thought about sort of what does woman mean to me, and I thought of every woman I had ever admired, and I tried to be all those people, and it was doomed to failure. I couldn't do that. And likewise, I'm starting to really have the idea that I would like to hook up with a nice man and start a long-term relationship as a woman in a relationship with a man. And for a while there, I was thinking, well, can I get along with men? I started thinking about all the men I've ever known. And how could I, you know, could I love that sort of conglomeration of the idea of masculinity? Well, I don't have to do that. I just have to be one woman loving one man. And, you know, the particulars of my situation are going to be unusual and unique. And so I don't have to match some kind of overarching, you know, archetype of femininity, loving some archetype of masculinity. I just have to be one person loving one other person who loves me. And that could, that could happen. (laughs) I haven't given up hope. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very
0: glad to hear that. So we just have a moment before we're going to have to end. And um, maybe, maybe I'll follow from what you just said, which is about dating and, how is it for you in the sort of, as you said, you're not at the end of transition. You're very mm. much in the midst of transition. And in your own mind, do you see yourself as sort of waiting to date till you're fully transitioned or do you date mid-process or how, do, how does that work?
1: Um, I'm kind of leaving it alone for now. Um, there are one or two people I know who, if they asked me to dinner, I would say yes um but I'm not actively pursuing anything I don't feel like I'm stable enough um also the hormone dose that I'm on right now is pretty much rendered me asexual i you know I got no drive, I got no libido um uh, so because really' this is too high or too low no it's just right where it needs to be but um it it shuts down male sexual function, which is what I still have at the moment, you know that equipment the vestigial yeah. appendage I call it yes <laughs> um so uh. Yeah, I'm leaving it alone, but I'm open. I'm receptive. You know, if certain people wanted to, you know, give me a wink, I'd wink back.
0: So maybe that is uh, talking about the role of hormones seems to be a good place to end. You know, we talked about that sort of adolescent transition, and you are—you've started hormones. You're on them. How? What has been the impact on you of being on estrogen and progesterone? I'm presuming
1: um, just estrogen, actually. And I'm, but I'm also taking another medication which suppresses serum testosterone. Um, well, I'm going through some physical changes, which I welcome. Um, I'm growing breasts. I've lost a lot of body hair. Um, it's not going to help with my beard. Um, it's not going to help with my hairline. So those are things that are still have to be dealt with other ways. Um, I've lost muscle mass and strength, especially in my upper body. Um, there's supposed to be long-term, some fat redistribution. So I might get a little more curvy in the hips area, which would be lovely. Um, I am probably one of the few women you will ever meet who would like to be shorter and have a bigger butt. So, um, you know, <laughs> there's, there's, there's 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 directions I would like to move. Um, what else? Well, emotionally, I was already a very emotional person, but now it's really almost overwhelming sometimes. Um, and I say that to women, and they say, oh, PMS, you know, well, no, I'm not experiencing that. I'm experiencing a kind of artificial steady level of hormones. But still... Um, and, you know, a woman's natural cycle goes way up and down, which is part of what what causes those, you know, mood changes through the month. But mine's steady. Um, but still, you know, I, I cry easily and often, um, and I think perfectly healthily, you know. As, more so uh, than before? Uh, a little more. Um, but I'm also calmer, you know. There there was a kind of edge to having a lot of testosterone in my body, a kind of aggressiveness and a need to make my point and, and to win a point and... I just sort of letting go into a kind of relaxed and different feeling, much more, much more flowing through life rather than pushing my way.
0: On that note, Lisa, we are going to have to stop.
1: But I, we only just started. I know. There's
0: so much more we could discuss. Thank you so much for being my guest and my, my, pleasure. And my teacher in many ways. I really appreciate it. I want to offer people also as a resource, the maintransnet.org, which is the kind of internet site, since you referenced how important that can be, the main Transgender Network site, which offers all kinds of information and books and leads for family members, people questioning, and so on.
1: And two support groups a month right here in Portland and open office hours. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a physical, real resource as well as an Internet resource.
0: It's great. My thanks tonight for Lisa Bunker for mixing the sound, Maurice Lennon for the music, Neil McKenty for being my consultant. If you'd like to listen to this show in its entirety or email it to a friend, you can go to the website at www.safespaceradio.com. Uh, coming up next is Covering the Bases with Thaddeus.